it going? It's going pretty well. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I got back from England yesterday. I was away for about 10 days and I'm all I'm all over the place. I'm frazzled. I'm scatterbrained still. So I'm recording this coming off jet lag a little bit. Uh, is it jet lag when you go mm-hmm. back in time or forward in time or is it both ways? I think I think jet lag does go both ways. Cool. Cool. Yeah, very, well, very hip and modern of it. I'm glad we got there. Um, working the, you know, I have to get back up to speed making really terrible um, dad jokes. Right, so, right, right. Because I've sort of been out of practice and we're getting back into the flow, which is great. Um, how are you doing today? What have you been up to? Um, I've had a pretty quiet day. I'm actually house sitting for my parents in rural New Hampshire in a town of like 500 people. Wow. Is that the Stephen King state? Uh, it's one of the Stephen King states. Is that actually Maine's the motto? Stephen King state is Maine. Maine, yes. I would yes. love if Maine had like, you know, those signs when you enter somewhere. Um, or it could just be their motto, like the Stephen King state. Or it could say like, you are now entering Maine, population, whatever. Um, plus Stephen King. Plus Stephen King, because he probably, does he, he still lives there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, I bet you there's more than one Stephen King in Maine, too. Do you think do you think like the other King families named their child Stephen to like to cash in? Yeah. To be like, because yeah. then when that kid checks into hotels or has dinner anywhere and it's like, oh, oh, Stephen King. Oh, well, well you, that's calm. your money's no good here. <laughs> author of <laughs> Carrie and Cujo and uh, Misery. Dolores Claiborne. How many Stephen King books have you read? Oh my God, I've read so many Stephen King books. I found him when I was really young, way too young. And uh-huh. I, I first, uh, I think the first thing I read was It when okay. I was maybe 11 or 12. And I've, I've probably read 20 or 30 Stephen King books. Wow, I've read two. Which ones? Well, so I found a copy of Misery on the Street in Boston one day, like a few years ago. And I just mm-hmm. read that and was like, yeah, okay, I guess. Um, I heard the movie is very good. Uh, what's her name? I think was nominated um, for an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, obviously the premise is, I don't know, not great. Although I think someone should remake Misery like today. Although there's probably movies. I think there is one movie about stalking that came out to, like this year. And also there's that movie about that that girl who like travels to California to uh be with her like instagram idol but i think there should be a book about someone who takes a youtuber hostage (laughs) and forces them to like make a video about some game that they love but is like unplayable um but yeah i've read that actually did you know that that is a subgenre of youtube videos oh what kidnapping yeah uh yeah yeah with my friend's nine-year-old a bunch and he's always watching these these bizarre videos of people who are pretending to have been kidnapped it's wild i learned about some of this when uh the verve blog published a piece well when we published a piece on youtube kid stuff so appropriate and uh one on just like 
this guy who only builds box forts, even though he started off making video game videos. And another one about this couple who, yeah, always do kind of like escape things. And like one thing, there's a whole subplot with like a hacker that's trapping them and they have to like solve these puzzles. Apparently kids love this stuff. That's why. It's uh, truly outrageous, much like Jem. Uh, um, see, I'm still still doing it. Still doing it. The second Stephen <laughs> King book that I've read is um, the writing advice. Oh, Stephen King on, on writing. writing. Yes, which I think is a pretty good book, although I did read it after i was already like a published writer so <laughs> at that point like i realized like oh he's got all this specific advice about how you should write and blah blah blah. and then i was like oh wait i've already been published so like i'm gonna still read this because it's fascinating but also like i don't need to do be worried about like the writing every day thing like pump it out go 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 um right because like i'm already kind of doing it and i feel like the book is for people who like want to be a writer yeah, I mean, he talks he talks so much about like his lengthy process of endless rejection and stuff. I think a lot of it is geared toward that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know that book. It's not like my favorite book about writing, um, but I've only read a few, so I guess it's in like the top five, just because it's one of those "you're my favorite son" situations. Like I'm your only <laughs> right. son. Um, the the one I really do like is how to write a sentence. Oh yeah. I mean, like by all accounts, Stanley fish was like a fucking douchebag, but like <laughs> that book is actually incredibly good. Even like I thought it would piss me off because like typically like English writers like him get really pissy about language and like the social sciences and humanities. But like, he's mm -hmm. like, Oh no, if this is what, if this is the kind of sentence you want to write, here's how you do that. Yeah, I think there's a lot more. I have a, actually a huge chip on my shoulder about books on how to write. Yeah. Um, I feel like 99% of them, maybe all of them to some extent, are just people listing things that have worked for them specifically. That's and true. It's so hard to translate that. It is. So much of it is serendipity, um, you know, personal quirk. I think there is money, some money. <laughs> um, which is why I tend to take things more seriously from people who like, like the technical stuff. See, that's the thing I like about the fish book is it's basically, it's not how to be a writer. It's like how to write well. It's just like very technical. Whereas mm -hmm. the Stephen King thing is like, here's what I did to become a writer. And here's how I became like a best-selling like paperback writer. Um, right. And yeah, that stuff is maybe like a little less, like it's like the same thing in video games. I remember I used to see all these pieces on like, oh, how like th how this team of people working every day, like not eating and mortgaging their house succeeded in making <laughs> this beautiful thing, uh, which of course doesn't get into all the people who did all those things and failed, um, which is kind of a, a cognitive bias problem that like we don't mm -hmm. realize those are much more numerous i wonder can you even become a successful paperback author anymore oh is that a thing i mean i think it probably is like romance or like mystery i think those probably mm -hmm. still sell like the kind of books that are in drugstores or like airport right. stores so like yeah i think the kinds of authors you can be 
not really knowing much about the literary world, I think you can be a romance or mystery paperback novelist. I think you can be a prestige uh, hardback novelist. Mm-hmm. And in terms of fiction, I think that's... Those are the two big ones, I think. There's very little, like... Because publishers just want, like, big celebs now, right? Um, right. So Because they can have it. The market's so saturated. Right, yeah. Um, they can be a lot choosier, which... And the problem, though, is that a lot of, like, most of the books that get published end up being pretty similar um, because (laughs) of the people who get selected. Have you read, I've mentioned this, like, fucking every episode on the show, but it's just a good book. Have you read Gentrification of the Mind? Yes, I have. Do you remember the part in it where Sarah Shulman talks about how many lesbian authors got published in, like, the 90s and 2000s and, like, how many still do or don't? Yep it's minuscule it's like so wild it doesn't happen and you'd think like surely like white upper class lesbians would be getting published it's like nope not even them no one it's wild it's so wild so yeah publishing is a train wreck of an industry and um there's no hope for anyone death awaits us all yeah, yeah. No, I I would say that entropy truly is the sovereign of our universe. Well, here's the thing about entropy though. I've heard that you know, they used to think that there would be that the universe would stop expanding and then crunch in on itself and the the universe was cyclical and right, right, right. it would there be another big bang, but I think the dominant theory now is that the universe will keep expanding indefinitely until Until everything is infinitely far apart from everything else. Well, until like basically there is no energy, like everything just will stop forever, which is, I think I prefer the idea of that. I do too. It's, I always feel better with finality like that. And with things that are on a scale like that. It's nice to be reminded of your own insignificance sometimes. <laughs> well, I remember seeing a piece somewhere and I'm just going to Google it right now. There's like a, okay. Yeah. It was in the Atlantic a few years ago. Uh, there's this piece on this thing called a which is the fear of eternity. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I try not to think about too much because um, I feel like thinking about cosmic issues far from distracting me or like making my own personal issues seem unimportant. Well, I guess it does kind of do that, but it also just, I mean, it causes like a deep kind of French existentialist uh, angst, you know? Ennui. Ennui. Is it ennui? Is it angst? Yeah, I, I believe ennui is... Uh, ennui is, is French. I think angst, is is that a German word? It sounds German. It I mean, does. It sounds like it someone does. said it while angry. Uh, yeah, angst. Because I think that was Kierkegaard. Uh, I probably just making that... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't taken a philosophy class in a minute. I think the last dedicated one I took was 
uh, in high school. I took some political philosophy in college, which was... I took existentialism in college, but that was a decade ago. Wow. Did you read Beauvoir or Just Men? Uh, You know, I can't remember a single thing. (laughs) (laughs) I remember nausea. Nausea. That's real. I once tried to read that book in college on my own. And I had to put it down after like one chapter because I was just like, the same kind of thing happened. I was just like, (sighs) (laughs) yeah, it's very upsetting. I remember um, uh, I have body dysmorphic disorder and nausea was way too close to home for me. Like the Mm. idea of looking at parts of your body as alien to yourself and as as disconnected from you and then feeling revulsion for them. Right. That's exactly like what he's just like, like that term is like, obviously like it's a relatively recent medical term, but it seems to describe that kind of phenomenon. Right. Recognizing the other in your, in your own flesh. Right. The language we use to talk about bodies is so interesting because um, I feel like, not to get too, I mean, we are talking about college philosophy, not to get too <laughs> freshman philosophy, but like, I think the way we talk about like, oh, my body, my hand, my foot, it just reflects this like Cartesian dualism of like, right. there's me and then there's my body. But like, if you just said like, oh, hand, that sounds ridiculous in English, but it also is just because it's unconventional. And I'm not recommending that anyone start doing that. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting too, because there are languages that don't have articles, um, like the, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just, you know, not to be a, what was that guy who was like, oh, language determines how the world is experienced and like, oh, Worf. Yeah. Who was like sort of right about some things, but then like also very much not, um, Right. The the Sapir Wharf hypothesis. Right, right, Um, right. But what were you going to say? I was going to say that I I think that idea of the person as the owner of the body and the body as an expression of the person really shows up a lot um, in art where you see bodies as kind of moral reflections of, of people. Right. Absolutely. Well, I was just talking about this with a friend um, that very frequently film will show bodies conforming to someone's uh, moral being. And um, that th- that there is this kind of expectation that your your body will reflect who you are and what you're like. Right. Okay. And that... I, I think the truth is that's basically never true at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that reminds me of this really th- bizarre thing that I haven't thought about in years and years. Um, so in high school, it was in, I forget, some kind of social studies class, maybe English actually. And it was right around the time that The Passion of the Christ had come out which I had seen in theaters with my friends. and I love The Passion of the Christ. I, I know Mel Gibson's horrible. What a great movie. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I haven't seen it in like a million years, but I did see it in the theater. And for some reason, we were watching in this class this like Christian 
talk show host from like from my hometown where I was in school and he was talking about the movie and his major complaint about the movie was that the devil was portrayed as like this weird like golem-esque kind of guy and mm-hmm. he was like that's fucked up because evil is supposed like evil is alluring and like sin is alluring and so portraying evil as hideous it is actually like doesn't make sense at all and i was like wow i think i would like disagree with you on pretty much everything but that is like a really good point that's very thoughtful yeah that um and that that is that that same kind of physical and moral equivalency that we should know automatically when we're looking at someone bad yeah yeah oh not talk about ingrained ideas that are (laughs) terrible it's it's very good to me it is good to me. Actually, it is good. Yeah, I'm not mad. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. I'm not, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm having a great time online. Yeah, I love to be uh, pale and fully clothed and calm online. <laughs> uh, gr- I'm green, actually, which is the opposite of red. Um, and could I be wearing any more clothes? I'm Chandler Bang. <laughs> Friends. God, I... So when I was in England, I couldn't watch Frasier, which uh, really irritated me. And um, which kind of says more about me than I would like. But <laughs> there was a time recently when I went to watch Frasier and I used my mom's Netflix account because... I feel like I'm an adult in all respects except that. I could afford a Netflix account. I just don't think to actually get one. Um, But so like I'm on hers and so is my sister. And there was one night where I'm like, oh, let me get a little bit of that tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And uh, Netflix was like, I'm sorry, you can't watch Frasier because another user is currently using Netflix. Like my sister, like her name is watching friends and i was like oh dang it and i posted a screen cap of that because i was like oh the 90s sitcoms haha and then someone just replied with a picture of bagged white bread and i was just like this is the most owned i've ever been in my life yeah no that's um that's brutal it was incredibly funny though um, yeah 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 oh <laughs> God, I think Friends is arguably a wider show than Frasier because at least Frasier is realistic in that it's about rich people. Friends is like this and Friends is in New York and Frasier is in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And Seattle was once described to me as um, being ghost like in its population. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I would argue that in terms of like differences, Frasier is like slightly uh, less so than than Friends. I I like um, I like Frasier, and I think Friends is is pretty much unbearable to me. And it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's I don't care for it. it. I feel like the show has no firm grasp on how horrible its characters are. No. Whereas with Frasier, that's the whole point. You know, they're insufferable and, and, you know, they love each other at the end of the day and everything, but they're like, they're infuriating to watch. And that's the fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's and um... with, with friends. It's like, they expect you to want to hang around with these people. Every one of whom I would just 
pay hundreds of dollars of my own money to see get curb stomped by Tony Soprano. <laughs> That's an incredibly specific desire. In fact, I would say that uh, your desires are unconventional. Well, I, I, all I'd ask is that you respect them. Well, you know, I think as, Don't long, my yum. <laughs> as long as everyone is safe, sane and consensual, then that's fine. Um, which I was thinking about this the other day. I don't care for the language um, because <laughs> a there's like, this is incredibly specific complaint hour, um, but safe. There's like no such thing as a completely safe anything in this world. Sane, <laughs> like, I've never had sane sex, and that's I've not never, my fault. I've never been sane in my life. Uh, and consensual, Jesus Christ doesn't consent. So, like, that's the myth of consensual sex. You, did you do you like that? I do, I do. I was just thinking um, when I was a teenager. I was raised very religious. I'm not anymore. Um, and I used to volunteer summers at a religious institute in Maine, the Stephen King State full circle mm -hmm. um and if we sat too close to one another the administrators would literally say <laughs> yes. leave some room for the holy spirit and all yep. i could think is what happens when we fuck which inevitably we do like is is the holy spirit just squished paper thin in the middle like a cockroach yeah he's there it's there and is he into it um I mean, it just, it's sort of just like, it's a living. Uh, <laughs> like, like one of those uh, garbage disposal dinosaurs on the Flintstones. Yeah. Like the bird that gets used as a pickaxe or whatever. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. I got really into like Trinitarianism for a minute. This went like this last winter. I was just like, I don't know why. I, I think because I, was reading or talking about Unitarianism. I think I was talking to, that's it. Um, I was talking to my pal, Greg, um, past guest, who is, oh, Greg Erskine? yeah, who yeah, is wonderful. a universalist Unitarian. And I was like, why is it called Unitarianism? And I looked it up and was like, Oh, because they don't, they're just like, Oh, Christ was like a pretty cool guy. Um, he wasn't this like, part of this trinity of like him god like him and the father and the holy spirit so i was like right. what actually is the holy spirit because i don't know is it a ghost and so like i looked it up is it slimer um <laughs> no one actually knows because that's the mystery of the trinity is the holy spirit slimer or not it could or, be or a girl slimer from the new ghostbusters movie sorry um uh Sorry, what? They made, uh, so in the new Ghostbusters movie, there's a girl Slimer. I'm Googling girl Slimer and I'm really terrified of what's oh, going to happen. Oh, that's such a bad idea, Merritt. <laughs> At least I didn't Google Slime Girl. True. Okay, true. so as best I can tell, girl Slimer is effectively a Miss Pac-Man situation where she yep. has a bow on her head. Does she have eyelashes? I don't remember. She... I, didn't, I didn't really care for the movie. Uh, no, she does have nail polish. She does have lipstick. And she has like a 1950s housewife haircut. Okay, um, so like one degree past Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, I mean... She, or really just multiple Miss Pac-Mans. Yeah, I mean, not that different from Slimer. Although, why does she have hair and Slimer doesn't? I guess because it would be too difficult to signify the gender differences of these 
dead ghosts, one of whom is possibly John Belushi. <laughs> that's who he was uh, in life. Well, I think that's beautiful. Sometimes a family is just two slimers. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, it took me like three, like three rows down before I found like some like PG-13 porn of Slimer on Slimer's um, softcore from DeviantArt. It's just like a girl inside Slimer. She's not nude or anything. Um, and there's also one of Slimer like popping out of a thing behind some girls with like Ghostbuster uniforms that <laughs> frankly seem way too small for them. <laughs> uh, I, oh my dear. My God, my God, my God. Uh, there's a picture of someone dressed as Slimer, but no head so i'm just gonna real quick um send this to you because it's important yeah i would i would very much like to see that thank you um so take a look at this that's very bad <laughs> it's very good that's, actually uh, it's, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna have to correct you here Merit. it's uh, it's terrible <laughs> So I'll post it in the show notes, but, um, this woman looks like she got fed into the teleportation <laughs> machine from the fly along with a ball sack <laughs> and some green food coloring. Um, just nothing good. It's like, she has Slimer's body, but not Slimer's head. So it's just like, she's kind of like bent over with like just her arms sticking out and her legs sticking down and her head sticking out. And she's just like smiling and facing the camera. She's like a tiny little imp of a woman, which makes it much funnier. <laughs> oh, God, Slimer. I love that little guy. He's a, he's a weird little fella. Slime, uh, not Slimer. Ghostbusters was one of the movies on offer on my plane rides um, to and from England. I uh. believe it was under classics, which at this point... <laughs> Okay, I guess it's 30 years old. There Yeah, no, Ghostbusters is a classic. Okay. American Sniper was on the classics list. That is A, a literal war crime, and B <laughs> It it both depicts and its inclusion are war crimes. Um Yeah, it was really weird. I don't know, those flight things are like there's a lot of movies that I would wanna see, but then I never feel like watching on a plane, like um uh shape of water um annihilation there were all these like well-received movies on there and then i was like <laughs> i'm just gonna watch 2009 star trek because <laughs> i'd never seen it before and i was like this seems easy this is a plain movie well like who wants to be the person sitting next to their seatmates and watching sally hawkins get dicked by a fish uh apparently mostly like older dads Okay. Because I I did see that. And also, uh, they're the, also the ones watching Annihilation. Annihilation seemed really popular. I saw people watching it on the flight there and back. I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the scene where Natalie Portman is like Tomb Raider style, like fighting her doppelganger. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I've seen that like half a dozen times now. Um, and also, I saw the intestine moving scene. And so I'm basically good. Um, yeah, I'm good on that movie. I mean, like honestly, the movie is is two or three good scenes and and then nothing. 
Right. I've heard this is one of those cases where the book is like much better. Yeah. Um, there's there's this oh my god, Merit, there's this scene in that movie where one character notices another's self harm scars and turns to a third character and says, Was she trying to kill herself? And that character responds, I think she was trying to feel alive. <laughs> Wow. That's it makes you think. The representation, baby. <laughs> uh, I think uh, they also cast the lead from Jane the Virgin as like a tough thug. Okay. <laughs> it just is, I mean, it would be unbelievable if it weren't just obviously racist. Right. Yeah. Um, huh. Well, kind of glad I didn't watch it. Star Trek 2009, my review. Um you know, it was a J.J. Abrams. Uh, mm. It wasn't, I didn't really feel like it was Star Trek, but then Star Trek is always, I don't care. It's just always Star Trek. I like, I like it, but like, I don't care if it doesn't feel like it. It's whatever. Just do your own thing. Right. Just also, there was one line in that movie that I was like, if, if like Spock, Kirk, Slash hadn't been the originator of Slash fiction, this one line would have kicked that revolution off single-handedly. Because there's a conversation between Spock and someone else where someone's like, oh, you should give Kirk a chance. He's so much raw potential. He's like a wild horse. And Spock's <laughs> just like, that is an apt comparison, as wild horses must first be broken. Oh and I was just like, God. what the fuck? That's, do they not? Like, they had to have, they had to have known. Like, yeah, I, always, I always wonder how, how much focus grouping goes on in regards to what can be fanfic i know i know it's like like i i believe that the movie venom was created by a focus group that had just been watching tumblr for a decade yeah i've heard that i i may want to see it although i don't know that i need to because all like like many pieces of media all of the good stuff is already online in terms of like the fan works that it spawned and um I think also I haven't kept up with the comics because I don't read like superhero comics or any monthly comics. Um, but well, I, I did read transformers, but I think it's wrapping up. Um, I've heard that the venom comics were starting to sort of get that relationship as well. You mean like, um, like depicting the, the relationship between the man and his slime suit as sexual. Yeah, sometimes a family can just be a man in his slime suit. That's a good move. Honestly, like, if they want to move the comic, that is what they should do. Right? That's what, I, you know, I've always thought, like, if if Marvel really wants to get people to hop onto the comics from the MCU, which is, like, never going to happen because it just economically does not make sense for audiences, right. um, what they should do is just hire fic writers. And mm -hmm. then people would would actually start reading them um, beyond like just the old timer people who are like nah, comics. Um, Captain America can't be a dog. Um, <laughs> There's nothing in the rule. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even mean to set that up. Um, but thank you for slamming that dunk. Um, you're, you're so welcome. Okay. Um, yeah, no, all they need to do to sell those comics is make boys kiss. 
I know, right? Just like, like make money on the table. They're just, so fucking dumb. Just make Stucky. Um, just is that what that's called? I don't know what. Yeah, Stucky Steve. Is. Steve Bucky. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. <sighs> so, well, it's I. I don't know that we're gonna top that. Um. At that point in this episode i think that's that's like the high point but we can we'll try we'll try and yeah that, I'm, I'm willing to soldier on or that could just that could just be the climax and this is the denouement this is the falling action do you think whoever wrote that was just like basically talking about like a guy nutting and not even yes, just absolutely. not not just like <laughs> a climax but i'm like but the idea of a story progressing in this is that why men are that way like like writers and everything like oh how it works is it builds up and then you like you know shoot your wad and then it goes down and then the story is over or like the, yeah, the, no, I, I, the sense to a love making is over i think uh narratives move that way because men fall asleep right after i think we just cracked it because like you know the feminist uh literary theory has talked about you know how about like masculine conceptions of stories and like the hero's journey and stuff like that for a long time um but they've never really understood that they? actually it is about nothing there must be papers on this um like we got we got men to read like a story that had this format and then saw if they like obviously not that but like something um <laughs> damn we just had a huge we cracked this thing wide open. We cracked the case wide open. Wide open. Wide open spaces. Completely, completely gaping. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like that kind of um, climax and then sort of that dribble of resolution is such an uninteresting way to write a book <laughs> or do anything. Yeah, I don't know. A book can be anything. A book can be two slimers. I think that's called that's the third time uh, we've called back to that, uh, which doesn't even even really count as a callback because it was already just a joke that was existing out in the world. Um, but that's fine. It's a good bit. It's a good bit, and I like it. So um, we can, and that's fair use. I, yes, it. Whatever else it is, it's definitely fair use. <laughs> I have a very um, liberal interpretation of fair use, where um, I think basically it's fair use as long as they don't catch you. Um, yes, I would agree. Like it's not a crime unless you get caught, right? That's. I that, think that's true for almost everything. That's true for all crimes, <clears throat> um, or is it? It's like a Schrodinger. It's a Schrodinger's cat situation, you know. Well, like, you know, are you guilty of murder or ooh. innocent? Or did you? No just... one could possibly know until they find <laughs> a body. Well, you committed a murder, for, or are you guilty? Those are two different things. But also, right. you know, Emil Durkheim, who some describe as the father of of the discipline of sociology, though I would contest that because um, there was a guy who was writing in the Middle East thousands of years earlier, who Ibn Khaldun was his name. Um, and he, I think, invented sociology and not Emil Durkheim. But um, 
you know, Emil Durkheim, crime, talking about crime, um, you know, I think he would say that you have committed a crime anyway because, uh, first of all, you've sinned in your heart. I was going to say, he has already committed <laughs> adultery in thought. Um, and second, there's social rules, and you you know that you've broken them. Uh, it's not just about the law itself. Uh, that is That is ridiculous to me. Only a judge can make crime real. That's true. That is another equally valid perspective in that. And if you get his gavel before he bangs it, it's open season. You can do whatever. <laughs> if you put your hand under the gavel and it doesn't bang, he's like, oh, dang it. I you got to go free. <laughs> Bailiff, let this man go free. No crime. But it's really hard because you don't know when he's going to do it. It could happen at any time. So the, right, the like rate at which people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or it's like the knuckles, bloody knuckles. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you um, ever play that when you were younger? I mean, probably. Um, I probably got roped into playing all kinds of stupid games that are like, I think as a young child, I was like, wait, why do we want to inflict physical harm on ourselves or others? <laughs> Like, oh, because people are bad, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, I'm not really into it, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, I think I... in the other one where you, like, throw a ball at a wall where someone is standing in front of a wall. Is that even a game? I think that's just bullying. That's just assault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't... Well, we don't call it assault when kids do it. It's bullying. Which, Sorry, it's um, it's uh, as the French say, le petit assault, the little assault. Um, so you know, like the petit prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the middle of that book, um, what happens is there's like un petit mort, and then you have the falling action. <laughs> I um, I love the snake's monologue about death in that book. What does the snake say? Because it's been a long time since I've read that book. So I don't remember the exact wording, but it's this tiny little black snake that slithers up to the prince and it talks to him very briefly, very succinctly about how death renders everyone equally meaningless and how its venom could kill, you know, the, the lowliest person or the most exalted with with no difference at all so what i get out of that is um snakes snakes should be feared and revered yes um, as our betters yeah no i think that rather than working for this i mean everyone's talking about this big blue wave in the 2018 elections i think we should just elect snakes like that flag, and we already basically have a flag we can just modify. So instead of it saying "Don't tread on me," it'll just say like, "Hey, vote for snakes. Don't tread on them. Vote for them." <laughs> hey, snakes. They're in charge of you now. Snakes rule. People drool. <laughs> people had their chance. Now it's time for snakes to shine. Forward to a better, more limbless America. <laughs> I especially I think the snakes with like dog faces and the snakes that whose defense is to flop around and pretend they're dead those yeah, are really identify with that. I think one of them should be the president and one should be vice president um, yeah and then whenever whenever the president pretends to be dead to avoid like a a hawk or a dog the vice president can step in 
Yeah, no, that's God. I mean, I guess we have to just, you know, we've imagined a better future and we just have to work towards it. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's all on us now. Yeah. Well, a lot of responsibility. I know. I know. Have you ever been bitten by a snake? Um, I mean, just a lot of large numbers, probably. <laughs> There's no way of knowing, but like, I mean, no, I don't think I have. Um, I used to be terrified of them as a child, but I was pretty terrified of everything. Um, so oh. like snakes, um, rabid bats, spiders, um, tornadoes, even though I live in a tornado free or lived in a tornado free zone, um, the house setting on fire, uh, basically anything no matter how unlikely that was capable of causing harm. I, I was basically like the kid in the page master, like Macaulay Culkin in the page master. Oh, he wears a helmet everywhere and is very safety conscious. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Um, but I didn't get to go on a magical adventure. I don't realize, I don't know how I overcame my, my fears, but were you ever bitten by a snake? Uh, I was actually, um, oh. I was, Hanging out in the middle of the New Mexico desert with my friend Ooh, Mark. Big snake zone. Yeah, a, a large, a large snake zone. And I was sleeping out on the porch because you could see the Milky Way out there, and it was really beautiful. Cool. And I woke up one morning, and there was a snake slithering towards me. And I'm I'm really blind without my glasses, and of course I don't sleep with them on, so I couldn't tell what kind of snake it was. I've I've I would say an above average knowledge of snake types. Uh huh. Um, and I used to hunt snakes when I was younger and, you know, keep them in a tank for a couple days, feed them, just have snake. Um, so I grabbed it behind the head rather than let it just slither up to me and do whatever it wanted. And then it wrapped itself around my arm. It was probably a good three and a half, four feet long, very thick. And I still had no idea what kind of snake it was. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, calm it down, take it out into the sage and, and give it a gentle little toss and this will all be over. Um, so I gave it 10 minutes and it did not seem much calmer, but that was about as long as I was willing to wait. And then I went to let it go and it turned around and buried its fangs right between my thumb and my forefinger. Ooh. And it hung on very tight snake. for a very long time you didn't have to do that didn't have to do what it didn't have to chomp you oh no i know but like you know it, it's that old saying they're more frightened of you than you are of them yeah so i uh i waited for it to let go and slither off and then i walked the four miles to the farmstead that we were renting our cabin from and by the time i got there you know, I was sweaty and disheveled, but not dying. So they were like, you're fine. You'd have died on the walk if it had been poisonous. We're taking you back. Oh, my God. Yeah. It but ended up being a, a hog-nosed snake, I think. Those are the... I love those guys. Yeah, they're the little cute uh, play dead guys. I have yeah. a I have a tattoo of it right <gasps> where it bit me, actually. Whoa. Oh, you've made yeah. peace with a snake. Yeah. Yeah, she was my little buddy. Oh. She's just doing her thing. So here's what I know about snakes. Here's my snake identifying knowledge, which um, I think, you know, listeners out there, if you need to identify a snake, if you need to know if it's poisonous or not, here's what I know. 
red next to black, step the fuck back. Red next to yellow, cuddly fella. I think that's right, right? I think that's actually the exact opposite <laughs> of right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't listen to that. No, that's that's bad snake knowledge. Yeah, well, that's straight from Super Hans, Super Hands. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, when he had a rental snake. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a fun business to run? Yeah, you know, rental snakes for. I mean, for occasions. I, you know, I mean, like I know I have known people who run, like, who are heptologists, hepto whatever herpetologists. herpetologists which sounds like it's they're studying herpes but they study reptiles i i think generally reptiles maybe just snakes um and uh, no i think it's all reptiles yeah i think it's it's all it might also be I amphibians mean, too i mean not all reptiles <laughs> but um but yes all amphibians um but i think they probably did that kind of thing because like movies and stuff need snakes right like there's got to be someone who like trains the snake and like handles the snake like that guy who always went on talk shows with the snakes and animals and stuff oh yeah i have like a a visual memory of him walking on stage with like a hawk on his shoulder i guess that my grandmother used to watch a lot of oprah that's probably where i saw it i just remember him from a seinfeld episode where kramer has the fake talk show in his apartment oh my god yes um which I mean, Seinfeld, in retrospect, you know, I think it's been, it's, the reception of it has cooled in the last <laughs> few years, but that is a very good conceit. Yes, it is. Uh, the sad thing about those sets is, like, that episode is accurate in that um, from TV studios and film studios to places like the Metropolitan Opera, when a production is over, they do typically just throw out the set. So, like... Yep. When the Met did um, the ring cycle, uh, they had this amazing set and they like threw it out because they didn't have space for it. And I recently learned that like Universal Studios, uh, they do have a backlot where they have like a lot of the houses and stuff that are in movies, mm-hmm. but um, they end up like repurposing them for other things. And so like ter- taking a house that was used for like Nightmare on Elm Street and turning it into a house that's for um, Desperate Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> or just like tearing it down and then rebuilding it somewhere else. Um, so yeah, it's like kind of sad because that stuff is like some of it's like in, like historical, and then it's just like no, it doesn't. It's not cost effective to keep this. We're anymore. going to shoot seven seasons of King of Queens here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That is sad. I mean, set design and costuming are such beautiful, interesting arts, but. How would you possibly store that kind of volume of material? Yeah, it is difficult. Especially because all those industries are profit-driven. Yeah. Uh, well. See, if they just put me in charge of movies, I would make one extremely good movie, and they could keep everything from it, and then we wouldn't have any more. I mean, you only really need one movie. Right, if it's good enough. You could make a movie that is, although I think that probably gets into infinite just situations where like (laughs) the piece of media is too good uh and then you can't stop looking at it right or like the um the joke from monty python that they used to win world war ii yes yes um or like the killing joke (laughs) from the batman properties 
I know so little about Batman. Everyone I know loves Batman. I like the um the Tim Burton movies. I think those are really good. They are. They're great. They're like they're a product fun. of their times, but they're like really fun and the they sets are nuts. They're so great. Gotham just looks completely bonkers. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like it looks like someone spent a million dollars making the set for a high school play. <laughs> which is amazing. Uh it's very good. Also, uh soundtrack by Prince. Uh oh. In the first one, and the music video for that for the single is incredible. When he's the Joker, <laughs> it's amazing. like unreal. If you haven't seen it, please. I haven't. I'm gonna watch it okay, right after. Please watch it right after because it's like it's an incredible music video. Um, and also uh, Jack Nicholson, pretty good Joker. I love Jack Nicholson. Is my favorite Joker. He's very good. It's and the whole dance with the devil in the pale moonlight doesn't make sense. Still a great line. Still a great line. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, I read the okay. So a while ago, I for some reason had a copy of the graphic novel adaptation of that movie, and they added a bunch (laughs) of completely superfluous stuff, including the line uh, when Batman throws a batarang at the joker or something and he's like hanging out when well, he's hanging off the building at the end and like well that doesn't happen in the movie I, he's hanging off this building at the end of the the story and uh he throws a batarang to stop the joker from getting away and uh vicky vale is like what is that and he's like i suppose the media would label it a batarang and it's like <laughs> why did you add that line why did you think that was a good idea to do? Uh, it's kind of incredible uh, in that respect that they were just like, no, we're not only going to chop this movie up and, and make it smaller to fit in this relatively small comic. We're going to just add content for no reason. Yeah, no. Uh, novelizations of films are are the Wild West. They are so crazy. They like, are especially once you get out of sort of the A tier, like, Oh, this is a novelization of a Marvel movie or something. They just kind of let you do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, infamously the, uh, the back to the future novelization is <gasps> insane. <laughs> yes. Written think... by a dude who was later killed by bees in his own backyard. <laughs> I think Ryan North was like, or someone brought it to Ryan North's attention or he found it. And that's how I became aware of this. But like, what yeah, are some too, of, what too. are some of the things that it says? I'm just going to have to look it up. There's an amazing part where the author completely misunderstands the physics of skateboarding. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. And there's, there's like a vice principal character at ads. Who's a belligerent lunatic. Okay. So it's really good. Uh, So it's based on an earlier script draft, definitely. Um, but <laughs> it turns out it starts with an ordinary ordinary family being destroyed by a nuclear explosion. Good. That's, which, that's very good. Which is the movie that Marty McFly is watching. And except he's not watching it, he's listening to stereo rock music. And uh Mr. Strickland is destroying confiscated Walkmans in a wood vice, uh, in a crunching orgy. Um, 
Biff is the type of person who talks loudly in movie houses or yells epithets at players during sports events. He was, in short, an intimidating lout. <laughs> and then there's, um, oh dear, uh, there's insanely, according to this piece, just like three pages of descriptions of the Libyans who, uh, oh god, are like who found find doc brown or something that that can't possibly be good no it's bad (laughs) it gets although i do love i do love this line uh it one of them is named oranda and it says she is a 25 year old ex-fashion model from damascus who gets her kicks by pumping bullets into other people's bodies and wants nothing more or wants nothing but more killing who is like Okay, queen, like, <laughs> please, yes. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. But, really, uh, really cool little tentacle of the publishing industry there. Yeah, well, we came full circle. So apparently you used to be able to do this, Um Okay, just one more line. <laughs> a Sparthy character resembling Yasser Arafat leaned out. <laughs> he threw up an AK-47 submachine gun and opened fire. Did he clean it off? <laughs> <laughs> there is a Tumblr for the, all of this that you can find. It's um, btothef.tumblr.com. I can't remember the name right now, but there's a wonderful Tumblr that takes this Steven Seagal movie and writes a piece of short fiction about every like minion that he kills over the course of the film. <laughs> and like, some of them are really, really tragic. And like in details depth. their rich inner lives and like yeah, all the exactly. people their death touches. Exactly. Yeah. And it, I think it goes backwards uh, to the very first person he kills in the film. Wow. I'll have to I'll have to dig that up. Love that. Love it. Just the modern Henry Darger doing his thing. <laughs> well, uh no, don't have a good segue. Uh do you want to move on to the only segment that we do on the show? Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. It's a segment called Get Wrecked. Get wrecked. We recommend things in this year's segment partner. Uh, still getting back into it. Still getting back into the swing. Um, you know how it goes out there, listeners. You, oh, I, sorry, I try not to acknowledge the listeners. It's like looking directly into the camera. Um, it destroys the podcasting faux pas. It, it destroys the feeling of, uh, I don't know, that they're they're watching or listening like easy in. Easy familiarity. Yeah. Also, it's like in porn when like like a faux lesbian looks directly into the camera and it's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess for the dudes that it's intended for, I think that is supposed to be a good thing, but it's unnerving. Um, Really? It's really jarring and weird. It's like, hi, I can see you. This is for you. This one's for you. This bud's for you. (laughs) Uh, is that a thing? 
Is that a slogan that they used? It was. My favorite Budweiser fact is, well, two things. One is that there used to be a shampoo that had that beer in it. Amazing. Called um, like Body on Top. <laughs> and then they stopped doing it because the guy who ran Bush and Howard Bush was like, beer isn't shampoo, beer is drink. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is that one of my favorite arcade games of all time, Tapper, which is you're like a bartender throwing, like sliding uh, beers down these bars and, and people are grabbing them. Oh, that's awesome. Just it, like in Cheers. Just like in my favorite television program, uh, Cheers. Uh, my The Fraser prequel, Cheers. Um, it uh, actually is, it should be renamed Fraser Origins. <laughs> <laughs> Fraser Rising. <laughs> uh, so Tapper um originally so the control for it is just like a tap that you like pull to fill and then push up to send down wow, that works uh, on so many levels i know but originally it said bud like it said bud on it and had the logo mm -hmm. and then i think they changed it eventually um because either they couldn't advertise like that or like they lost the license or something also i don't it, think you can advertise uh alcohol to children in video well games. they you had can't... to they had to change it to root beer tapper um, yeah but even like the the original tapper a lot of them just have like um logo -less, um taps now but anyway um how did we get here oh right uh, we were gonna do get wrecked we're doing that segment uh so uh do you want to go first or um or i could go first those are the two options basically that we're looking at there is a third hidden option that's on the secret menu of this segment where we both go at the same time but uh well I that don't... sounds really loud and confusing and like probably no one would be able to hear either of us yeah i mean that is why it's so on the secret menu all right let's do it um do you have okay. one if i say i do if i so we'll go not on three but on the beat after three Okay. Okay. Um, one, two, three, sleep mask. You didn't go. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought it was like a sentence. Um, or rather, let's let's try that again, and we can fix this in post. We'll fix this in post, probably. Um, okay. It can be a sentence. That's fine. Okay. One, two, three. Palm Mesh by mask. Julia Graffair. Okay. Um, in case those don't get isolated well enough, let's do that again. Not again. We'll do them separately this time. Classic. Get Wrecked classic. Um, we're bringing it back. You know, uh, no one liked new Get Wrecked. Um, the Crystal one might be coming back soon. We're going to keep a lid on that for now. That, Cherry, is, that, is, that is Pepsi, so I have sort of like changed my... Oh, no. No, it was New Coke, and yeah, what am I fucking talking about? Okay, um, yeah, I might have recommended this before, but it's changed my life. Get a sleep mask, and not the classic kind that like press up against your eyes. There's a kind you can get that looks like Batman, that makes you look like Batman if Batman didn't need to see. Um, it because it is molded in such a way that it doesn't touch your eyes, and also it's molded around your nose, and it blocks out like all light. And so I 
historically I've been like, oh, I don't like sleeping in total darkness. Um, and that's still kind of true. I, I don't. Um, I have a thing about it. Uh, but wait, did Ron Jeremy die? I I don't remember that, but I don't know that I have my oh, finger. No, I just sorry. He, I saw him show up on um on New York Trends, and no, he's he's alive. <laughs> I don't know. He's up to something. Anyway, um, yeah, sleep mask is great because I can sleep in a room that has some ambient light. And usually, what I do is I put the sleep mask on to go to bed, and then in the middle of the night when I wake up, I take it off. Um, but you can also use it to nap because napping, the tough thing for me is like light is, is really tricky. I don't actually have curtains. I just have very light. Well, you don't have blackout curtains and, um, God, it makes napping a breeze. I never used to be a nap person. And then I turned a certain age and, uh, ever since then I take naps all the time. The key to a good nap is set an alarm for 20 minutes and you have to get up at 20 minutes otherwise you get confused um wear a sleep mask and if you can um drink a cup of coffee right before i have definitely recommended coffee naps but um they're great what can i say i do them all the time so get a sleep mask you deserve it that sounds really good i've uh i don't really nap maybe i'll give that a shot yeah i i don't know i think it's nice um little 20 minute nap sometimes it does make it hard to get up but uh, yeah, no, it's good. What? And I think I did hear what you had said, but if you would please repeat it. Of course. Um, so my recommendation is the Zine Palm Ash by my friend Julia Graffer, who's a wonderful, wonderful cartoonist, my favorite cartoonist. And it's about a an early Christian who is being held under the Colosseum and repeatedly sent out to be eaten by lions and they keep passing him up. And it's about this woman who takes her son to him. She's, I believe a, uh, a slave at the arena um, or uh, some kind of servant, just a plebeian, I guess. <sighs> she brings her son to him to be baptized, uh, even knowing it's a tremendous risk. And it's, it's just this, beautiful sad violent story um it was the first thing of hers i ever read and i i really love it i can't recommend it highly enough that sounds great um i will do a bonus rec here which is um her zine about fraser oh my god it's so good it's called good night seattle right yes um it's well I don't know that I want to spoil it. I don't know if it's, let me see if it's available online. I don't know if it is. Um, um, I think it is on her shop. Yeah, it should still be up on the Etsy shop, I think. It. It is. Oh, great. Yeah, go buy that. Wonderful. She is Thorazos on Etsy. T-H-O-R-A-Z-O-S. Cool. She'll also design your tattoos, um, which nice. is freaking awesome. Yeah. God, I am getting a tattoo filled in um, next month, which I'm happy about. I got the line work done a few weeks ago. And then when my artist is back from her tour of the continental United States, 
um, I'm going to get it filled in. And then I'll start on the next one. Uh, What is the tattoo? Uh, This one is uh, not super exciting because I already have one of it. Um, So on my left shoulder for like a couple of years, I've had roses. And Mm. um, I'm getting a matching piece on the right, which is black lined right now and is basically healed because just black lining heals pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's going to get colored when she gets back. And I'm already thinking about pieces after that. <laughs> That's lovely. I'm uh I'm getting an anglerfish on on my right Ooh. arm next month. They are fascinating little critters and super fucking ugly. They're extremely ugly. Um, yeah, they're beautiful in their own way. Yeah. Uh, no, they're not. But you know what? <laughs> that is fake it till you make it. Well, also destroy the idea that beauty is associated with goodness just like we were talking about at the beginning real beauty can mean the ability to swallow prey up to 1.5 times your size uh yeah and do you know about how they reproduce i do that's why i'm getting it um would you like to describe that to people who are not aware i would love to so when the male anglerfish is born it stops maturing relatively quickly and it spends its life as this sort of tiny little fingertip size nub. And its only purpose in life is to live long enough to find a female. And the female is about 20 times the size of the male and to attach itself to her. And I, I mean, literally to bite her skin and then to let its body fuse with hers during the healing process, at which point it effectively becomes a pair of gonads. And she can use it to impregnate herself. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So in my tattoo, the female's eating the male. That's awesome. Also, yeah. uh, I think you can still find it. There's a game called Benthic Love from like god like five or six years ago by um i think michaela joth is her name um and it's about being a male anglerfish it's a romance it's like it's a dating sim game um and you're a male anglerfish and basically your options are like do the normal thing uh don't do the normal thing or do the thing with another male anglerfish and then you just die in this tragically beautiful way that sounds amazing. Um, it's a good it's a good video game. Um I think it's like it's like 5 minutes long as far as I remember. Um I remember playing it years ago when it came out. Um you also learn stuff about anglerfish, so pretty cool educational edutainment. <laughs> um yeah. Well, uh that about brings us to the end of the show. Uh thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Yeah. So do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Absolutely. So I'm Gretchen Falker Martin, and you can find me at Scum Believable, like unbelievable, but with scum on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I also write the column in the flesh for the Verve blog. Oh, and... who, who's the editor for that? Who, who? Oh, just like this really powerful, intimidatingly beautiful woman I, I live in fear of. Oh, um, huh. it's like a, a Voldemort situation. I try not to say her name. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't because um, that's what gives her power, basically. Um, but also, 
to just part the kimono for a minute. Um, yeah, you're God, such a good writer. Thank you so much, man. Go read Gretchen's work if you haven't, because these columns are just like consistently just like boom, boom, boom. The one about an alien this week, and as regular listeners may know, I. I'm an adult who is pretty terrified of the alien and like in real life, like I am literally afraid that when it's, when I'm in a dark hallway, one is going to come out and attack me. Um, and it's all because I saw the movie way too early and went on the back lot, uh, ride at, at universal studios. And there's a part where you go through the alien movie and there's an animatronic one and that's not okay. Um, I'm so sorry I made you look at all those alien pictures. You know what? I think it's exposure therapy. I think it's starting to work. I still, I look at them and I'm like, oh, that was designed to create horror. That's a re- physically revolting, terrifying thing. That That's was, supposed to make me fear being penetrated, right? It's supposed to be scary. And so I'm like, oh, I understand that. And also it isn't real. And I'm sort of getting to that point where I'm like, during the day, I'm like, aliens, aliens isn't real. And then at night, I'm like, there's a very, very small chance that aliens could be real. But even that chance is too great for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, yeah. But this, it's a very, very good piece. Uh, God, I am looking at it now, though. And I have to close that tab because um, (laughs) no, I'm not there yet. But one day I'm going to get there. Gonna, I believe in you. I'm going to do a VR thing where you have to see the aliens, and oh. that, that'll be the ultimate test. God, is that alien uh, isolation game on VR? Because that would really be, if I could do that. That'd be all fucked up. That would be it. That would be able to move on with my life. But um, yeah, so go read Gretchen's column. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we'll wrap things up. Thank you again so much for coming on the show, and I will talk to you later yep have a good night you too bye bye woodland secrets is hosted by merrick k and produced and edited by me nick bravo woodland secrets is a part of stay mean the world's only podcast network we're entirely listener supported if you enjoy the show please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.